0: This message comes from NPR sponsor, Bank of America. We're all shopping for essentials online these days. With the Bank of America Cash Rewards Credit Card, you can choose to earn 3% cash back on online shopping essentials. Visit bankofamerica.com slash more rewarding. Copyright 2020, Bank of
1: America Corporation. From NPR Music, it's all songs considered. I'm Robin Hilton.
2: Experiment. Black. Radio.
1: We're looking at the past decade in music. It's defining trends, moments, and artists. On this episode, a jazz revival and black music. Radio yo never blame me. Triple shade of black. Then my bleach. It never fade me. They say he crazy. New York with him in the '80s. Killer catch
0: administration. Gangster renovation. isolation.
1: I'm joined by WBGO and Jazz Night in America's uh, Nate Chenan. Hey Nate. Hey Robin. And NPR Music's Rodney Carmichael.
0: Hey, what's up, Robin?
1: We're going to talk about a lot of the ways jazz has influenced black music in the past decade and what this has meant to all the incredible music being made now. But we start with a moment from 2012, in February of 2012, when the jazz pianist and hip hop producer Robert Glasper released the album that we're hearing right now called Black Radio. <laughs> Nay, I'll go to you first. Uh, why this as a, an entry point for this discussion about how jazz is uh, returned to black music?
2: You know, this is an album that very much flew a flag. It was a, It was a real declaration of intent. And it also, at the same time, was a culmination of a lot of stuff. Robert Glasper had emerged in the previous decade as a jazz pianist to watch and also a sideman and producer in the sort of bohemian corners of hip-hop. And he had been thinking about how to bring those two sides of his output together. And in fact, he ended the 2000s with an album called Double Booked, which literally had one side with a jazz trio and the other side with this band he called the Robert Glasper Experiment. And the experiment was very explicitly, a band that set out to groove and to engage with R&B and hip hop on its own terms, but bringing all of the instrumental wizardry and technique and insight that they had as jazz musicians. And so Black Radio is where it all comes together in this very guest-laden sort of, you know, a lot of features on this album. And the album itself makes a bit of a splash and it makes a much bigger splash when it wins the Grammy in early 2013 for Best R&B Album. And the fact that it was even entered in that category and not in a jazz category is interesting. But it really serves as this kind of shot across the bow and puts Glasper on the map for a lot of people who, if they had heard his name, it was a sort of a vague illusion. But now he was really front and center.
1: Let's hear another cut from the album Black Radio. This is Always Shine.
2: We are again The experiment myself In the heart you're in the mind
0: You're the star that will always shine wherever you be like with me talk uh-huh. so like You ever see the inner depths of a man's soul? Ninja Turtles pouring out of manholes It's this balance between the comic and the conscious that's the challenge Between the solitary and the conference that I examines. That I imagine once a figure will be the start of world peace And the transformation of niggas Like the transubstantiation of liquor But that's just turning them into blood And we'll be right back where we was Not a peace sign but a fascination with scissors So I can cut myself off from the calculations the empress empires and the sentence for advancement and human suffering and other things trying to impede my publishing the editorials that's going to bring it back to us again a boomerang minus holly berry and eddie and everybody fucking there huh?
2: we've seen a lot of jazz plus hip-hop in the past you know it happened a lot in the 90s and to my ear and, and to many others um, it always or often felt a little forced you know um, one side was going, was reaching over to the other side, and, and you know there was this attempt to kind of push things into the same frame. And with Glasper, it's really more like he's pulling things toward himself, and, and it's not a stretch at all.
0: Yeah, that, that conversation, you, you're right, Nate, that conversation wasn't really much of a conversation at all in, in the early days. Um, you know, when you had, like, Tribe Called Quest sampling a lot of jazz or... Um, even um, you know, DJ Premier with Gangstar. And and a lot of times that reach was coming from the hip hop side. And you know, I think the other thing that's really interesting about black radio is in a lot of ways I feel like it's also a critique of the institution that the album is named after. Mm. You know, over the last half century or so, the radio and the media landscape, it's really changed so much that almost the only thing black about black radio nowadays are the actual artists being played on it. The one thing that made black radio black, especially back in the day when you think about the civil rights movement, that it was a direct reflection of the community it came out of. And the music spoke to what was going on, the social issues and the politics of the day. And in a lot of ways, you know, in this era and you know, around the time that this album came out, that was just missing. I mean, hip hop was really doing its thing, but it wasn't uh, locally controlled in terms of who was programming these radio stations? All of these stations, a lot of these stations were owned by one or two corporate owners. You know, I think all of this stuff is important because, you know, Glasper released this album Black Radio in the same year, and I believe in the same month that Trayvon Martin was killed. You know, so it's mm-hmm. also the the year before the first Black president gets reelected to a second term. And so what we see over the next decade is black artists, especially the kind of artists that Glasper working with, really rising to respond to this really different and unique set of challenges that black America is facing. As all these laws and these institutions that are meant to protect us sort of like failed to do so. Yeah. And so when I think of this album and when it came out and what Glasper does over the next decade in black music, I think a lot about the the social and political framework or, or milieu that he was kind of stepping into.
1: Let's talk a little bit about what exactly we mean by jazz's return to black music, because there there was a time when, uh, like if you go back to the 60s with Motown, where jazz and, and that music was very linked, and then they kind of drifted apart over the years. Maybe explain a little bit about what we mean.
2: Well, you know, if we skip back to the 80s, you know, this is when hip-hop really is ascendant, you know, and, and really finds its voice and finds its connection to an audience. And it's the same decade when... There's a really strong movement in jazz toward a more classical idea, venerating the elders, celebrating the history, plugging into a lineage, you know. And and so this is a very persuasive argument being presented by Wynton Marsalis at the time, among others. And it really did shift the conversation around jazz um, toward this more historicist ideal and away from the sort of noise and chaos of the streets. And so one consequence of that is that you see jazz and popular Black music take a fork, you know, and, and move in, in two divergent paths. And that continues for a while. So, so we get to a point where young Black audiences are less inherently interested in what jazz has to say. And that's a that's a shift. You know, that's something different. And I
1: think it's interesting that Glasper had such a real mission statement that he wanted
2: all uh, musicians to want to have a jazz artist on their mix. Right. Not long after he won that that Grammy for Black Radio, he was getting ready to release Black Radio, Two, And I had uh, lunch with him in Brooklyn. And one thing he said stuck with me. He was saying, uh, you know, back in the day, Aretha Franklin, Marvin Gaye, you know, like these people, all these people wanted jazz musicians on their album, mm-hmm. you know. And you look at Motown; most of the great Motown musicians came up playing jazz, you know, and. And he said, like, that, that used to be an intuitive thing. Like, that used to be the way it was. And, and now you say, like, I'm a jazz musician. People are like, no, no, I, I don't want to mess with that, you know. And so, so he very clearly stated it as a goal. He said, My, what I want to do is get back to that idea where whoever it is, hip-hop artist, uh, R&B singer, someone working in a rock arena, like, I want those people to look to what we're doing and say, oh, I want some of that. And you know if you've ever met Robert Glasper or watched him in conversation he's not a like a high flying pretentious kind of guy like he is he's always cracking jokes he's very approachable he's the kind of person who you know gets everyone in the room laughing
0: Yeah that that's so true what you say Nate about about Glasper and his personality I think the first time I got to see him in person was on a panel at some sort of music conference here in Atlanta and he was on the panel with a couple of a couple of R&B cats including a couple of cats that he went to high school with and you know I'm thinking oh it's going to be serious and you know it was Robert Robert Glasper yes and he will come <laughs> and pontificate on the theories of jazz and fusion man this dude was clowning the whole time i was like it was cool though it was like i totally could understand how you know in a lot of ways how that serves his collaborative process
1: Let's talk about some of the other ways we're hearing this revival, like how uh, Glasper has executed this mission.
2: You know, the the album that I think of immediately is not a Glasper album, but rather Kendrick Lamar's To Pimp a Butterfly, which is very much this magnum opus of, of that political and social moment. Also, in, in my opinion, one of the you know the greatest albums of this decade easily and you know this is an album that is really unimaginable without the contributions of jazz musicians
1: let's hear a cut called uh, complexion a zulu love i'm with this complexion
0: complexion don't mean a thing this is solo love Dark is the midnight hour, her bright is the morning sun Give a fuck about your complexion, I know what the germ is done Sneak, sneak me through the back window, I'm a good filled nigga I made a flower for you out of cotton just to chill with you You know I go the distance, you know I'm ten toes down Even if a listening, cover your ears, he bout to mention Complexion Complexion don't mean a thing
1: And this was from March of uh, 2015. How are we hearing Glasper on this?
2: I should note that the producers of this track include Thundercat, Stephen Bruner, who's a a bass player as well as a, a singer and producer, and was also trained as a jazz musician, and Terrace Martin, saxophonist, producer. Terrace is probably the most important producer on this album. And... Terrace was the one who brought Glasper into this session. So basically, the story goes, Robert Glasper heard Kendrick's previous album, Good Kid, Mad City, and flipped out at how great it was. And he contacted Terrace, who had for a long time looked up to him as a kind of big brother figure. And he said, yo, Terrace, like, I want to be on (laughs) this guy's albums. Like, let me know the next time he's working on something. And, you know, if, if if there's a good fit, I'd love to... I'd love to collaborate. So when they were working on To Pimp a Butterfly, Glasper was in town, and Terrace gave him a call and said, you know, stop by the studio. So he did. He dropped by. Kendrick was there. And they said, oh, you know, let's hear how you sound on this track. And they played something. Glasper improvised at the piano. And Kendrick, who is a very musical mind, he immediately heard the potential there, and he started calling up other tracks. He said, you know, hey, play on this one, too. Let me hear how this sounds, you know. So Glasper ends up playing on on a lot of this album. So on this track, Complexion, Azulu Love, his piano chords emerge toward the end of one section, end up forming a transition to an entirely different section of the song, setting up Rhapsody's verse.
0: my sky excuse me on my Tupac. keep your head up when did you stop love and die color your skin color your eyes That's the real blues baby like you met baby
2: uh, you blew me away like without that piano transition it's, it doesn't make any sense to join these two sections together so really what he provides is the connective tissue and then the sort of foundation for rhapsody's section and there's a lot of moments like that here where glasper is a catalyst. You know, he he provides something that just kind of binds everything together. In my circles, I sometimes run mm. into people who say that this is this should be considered a jazz album. Mm. Um, for me, that's a bit of a stretch.
0: You know, I think you can't really overstate how many hip hop heads of this generation got their first taste of jazz through this album, and it was that really organic organic approach to the fusion between the two that you talked about earlier that makes it so dope you know I think Mm -hmm. it's very much a jazz album but you know more than anything it's a it's a it's a black music album I mean you know and that's just and that's not just because of what Kendrick does so brilliantly as a rapper by like really centering the black experience as he kind of projects himself out into the world lyrically but like you say he also chooses to center this black music tradition by putting jazz front and center and i remember at the time when it got released and you know maybe still to this day to a certain extent there was a lot of debate over whether or not that worked for everybody for the typical Kendrick fan or for the typical hip-hop fan was it too jazzy was it too hard to you know get to was it not an easy enough listening experience you know you hear these kind of conversations and I think even now especially with Damn his follow-up album when he kind of went back to more traditional hip-hop beats you know even though his his content Continue to, to, I guess, kind of um, expand in terms of the complexity and whatnot. You hear people kind of debate over which album. They can just pop in and and mm-hmm. and listen to easier, you know. For me, this album is definitely uh, his best, and I think that has a whole lot to do with the music, with the jazz that is steeped in.
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's worth restating that it is in your face. <laughs> you know, My I remember w- when when this album dropped, I, I had a road trip. The first time I heard it, I was I was on the highway blasting it super loud, mm. and the first you know the the opening track the sort of overture is wesley's theory which has george Clinton, yeah. and it feels like a real kind of um p-funk sort of right. you know p-funk slash uh west coast gangsta rap feels like very in the wheelhouse of the kendrick project i'm like okay mm-hmm. cool this sounds great and then the next track is called for free yes. It's an interlude <laughs> and it's just like a, this explosive kind of like um yeah. hard bop like crazy swinging you yeah. know um with this with this very um like hilarious spoken word um right. sort of skit fuck you motherfucker you a hoe ass nigga i don't
1: know why you trying to go big nigga you ain't shit walking around Like you, God's gift to earth. Nigga, you ain't shit. You ain't even buy me no outfit for the fourth. I need that Brazilian wavy 28 inch. You playing. I shouldn't be fucking with you anyway. I need a baller ass boss ass nigga. You's an off brand ass nigga. Everybody know it. Your homies know it. Everybody fucking know. Fuck you, nigga.
2: I I mean, I don't want to say that I almost drove off the road, but I, (laughs) I definitely was like, what is happening here? You know, like this is.
0: What? You know? Yo. I was going to say let's play for free because I think it offers that it's it's probably like the most extreme juxtaposition on the album where you have like you say you have this super jazzy Bebop style that opens the track, and you can really hear, it. like the, like you say, the jazz is front and center. There's no mistaking. It's not, it's not trying to blend in and be cool or be kind of R and B jazz. Like it's a straight up, you know, jazz that you're hearing. And that track is so crazy. And
2: this is Robert Glasper on piano. A poor, poor matador, matador, hatador, a
1: so we've heard how Robert Glasper influenced Kendrick Lamar, uh, certainly on this album and we've heard some of Glasper's own solo work. There are a lot of other artists that Glasper has worked with in this past decade, but let's listen to one more example of how we've been hearing jazz return to black music in the 2010s because of Glasper. Uh, A more recent example, this is from earlier this year. It's Flying Lotus, the artist Flying Lotus and his song, Land of Honey. (laughs)
2: Glasper is credited as a you know producer and songwriter on this cut, along with Thundercat and Miguel Atwood Ferguson and, and some other folks who have a direct lineage to Pimpa Butterfly. And, you know, I think it's another example of that sort of chemistry experiment, being able to collaborate on a groove and flesh things out. And I don't think there's any part of this track that would make you think of jazz per se but it's informed by all of the the insight that Glasper has not only as a producer and R&B instrumentalist but also as a jazz musician.
1: I love the idea of picturing him in the studio and being the missing link in this music, you know. So much of this is about collaboration, right? And and communication between the artists and you've said before that you know they're really are no other musicians who are better working under these conditions or conditions like that than jazz musicians. You know, they're, they, the entirety of their training is built around that sort of collaboration and improvisation and, and reacting to
2: other artists. And, you know, it's... In many cases, not all, but in many cases, it's about musicians in a room. And we see examples of that elsewhere this decade. David Bowie's Black Star is another example of that from a different sector of the jazz collaboration realm. But again, it's about what can you make happen with real-time musical exchange?
1: I want to talk about some of the other critical players uh, in this revival uh, of jazz and black music. But first, we need to take a short break, and we'll be right back.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from American Mensa, the high IQ organization that offers intellectual stimulation and a place to socialize with smart people like yourself. Your high intelligence is the passport to compelling Mensa groups, events, and publications. If you think you may be eligible for membership, take Mensa's admission test or qualify using one of 200 other supervised tests that are accepted. Visit americanmensa.com/join to take the next step today.
1: It's All Songs Considered from NPR Music. I'm Robin Hilton, I'm here with Nate Chenin and Rodney Carmichael, and as part of our series looking back at the past decade in music, uh, we're talking about the revival of jazz and black music. We've talked a lot about Robert Glasper's influence and heard some examples, but really, um, Nate, this was something that was set in motion or made possible much earlier than the the release of black radio.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I think especially of the late producer Jay Dilla, who was a a huge inspiration to Glasper and others, and who really set the stage in a certain way for the rhythmic energy, especially around this music in the, you know, right around the turn of the century.
0: Yeah, you know, and it's funny because I think even myself, I have a whole new appreciation now for what Jay Diller's role ends up being in terms of What he did for hip hop and how he opens up this whole new lane and really looking at him in the context of almost a jazz musician, especially in terms of how you've written about him, Nate, because I was always one of those old school Tribe Called Quest fans who felt like Jay Dilla ruined a tribe. So, um, you know, to have a new level of appreciation and understanding for what he does Especially around sampling and the use of sampling, yeah. and I definitely want to hear you talk about that some more and how his approach to sampling is almost the way a jazz musician would approach his instrument. That's how, that's just really um, almost kind of provocative to me.
2: Let's hear a taste of that and what he was up to. This is a this is one of the the sort of early Jay Dilla tracks that that got people's attention. It's the Slum Village track, Fall in Love. Oh.
0: I right. 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 took uh, uh, uh. Oh. my nigga JD, uh. Uh. my nigga Deep Grip, uh. oh, that nigga 5'10,
2: And this is from June of 2000. Right. Um, So Fall in Love samples a Gap Mangione track. And some of it, too, is is how he uses those samples, you know. Um, mm. Like, he'll do something to it, you know. He'll set up the beat so that it's not metronomic, you know. It's, mm. it, it feels a little bit out of joint. And sometimes the that backbeat on the two and four comes a hair earlier or a hair later than you're expecting. But it mm. still grooves, you know. And so it's this, it's this weird kind of gluey, disorienting thing. And the D'Angelo album Voodoo, which, you know, I would say is one of the most important albums of this young century mm-hmm. um I- in many ways voodoo is an attempt to take the j dilla uh, sonic rhythmic signature and to play it in real time with with instruments you know and so you know, and I think Rodney, your your response is not uncommon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like right. what what Dilla was doing was really weird.
1: And D'Angelo's Voodoo came out in um, 2000, and it was quite a bit later in in December of 2014, where that evolves even more on his record Black Messiah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and so he put together this band called the Vanguard, and I think the most important member of that band. Uh, well, the most important member might have been Pino Palladino, the bassist, who, <laughs> who is on Voodoo. But a close second would be the drummer Chris Dave, who was a member of the original Robert Glasper experiment and has become a, a producer and bandleader uh, on his own. But Chris Dave, he's just this incredible master of, of rhythmic placement, you know. And so the Dilla sorcery is something that he can just conjure up you know, at a moment's notice, and, and he can and work with it almost like molding putty.
1: Let's hear a cut from Black Messiah. This is called Tell It's Done, tutu uh, in parentheses. I think one thing that's interesting, Nate, is you were telling me earlier that one thing Glasper did is he took real musicians who found ways to recreate these otherwise wild beats that you could only do, uh, you know, like in Pro Tools or programming, beat programming.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, rhythm has always been one of those things that jazz musicians know how to manipulate and work with as a pliable substance. And when you look at this generation of players that, that Glasper comes from, they have now internalized all of those Dilla innovations to the point where I would argue that it's an essential part of the toolkit now for any modern jazz musician, you know, to understand what that's about. Um, It's really a revolution in rhythm and jazz musicians understand it, I would argue, better than anybody at this point.
1: So we've talked about Glasper and Jay Dilla and uh, the drummer and composer Chris Dave. Who's uh, another critical figure uh, in this uh, revival right now?
2: Well, there's a whole handful, um, but one person who really leaps out, especially this year, is the drummer Nate Smith. He's a really great jazz drummer, but he's also, um, he just knows how to lay down a groove. And he is the musical director for Brittany Howard, both on tour and on her new album, Jamie. I watched the live stream of, of their show, I think, from Boston, and it was amazing. You know, it really reminded me of D'Angelo's band in a way. You know, it was amazing how much sort of jazz-related musicianship was going on, even as, you know, you wouldn't call it a jazz show. But, you can, you know, you can really hear this happening on, um, really, all over the album. But, but uh, here's a track called 13th Century Metal. <laughs> ¶¶
1: This sort of a, a an atypical sound for Glassford, would you say, with, with the synths?
2: Yeah, he's, he usually plays either piano or Fender Rhodes piano, and he's not, he's not really a, like a synth guy necessarily, but on this track I think it was clear that Brittany really wanted to go for something that sounded extreme, and, and so you know, he's providing this kind of futuristic running commentary as she presents her you know, eloquent rant.
1: We've heard a lot of really incredible music on on this episode, and it, it reminds me of some of the other discussions that we've had in this series of podcasts that look back at the 2010s. We've talked about genre blending and the globalization of music, and one conclusion that we keep coming to is how music, it seems, is more interesting and more remarkable Uh, than maybe ever before. And it feels like this uh, return of jazz, this revival of jazz and black music is playing a really huge part of it.
2: Yeah, it's an exciting time, no question.
0: I'm really curious, Nate, where you see jazz going in the next decade and whether or not you've kind of thought about
2: that. I have thought about it. And, you know, it's hard for me to make any projections, you know, except to say that, you know, we've seen so much hybridity, in this century so far, and we've seen what happens when musicians stop Fixating on definitions and you know policing their borders and really give in to the idea of permeability and openness and and so I think that is really going to going to continue and maybe even accelerate. We have so so much fluidity in in culture now. Yeah. everything is in touch with everything else and things move so quickly. So I feel like the influence on the jazz ecology is is really. It's really direct, you know, and, and, and the musicians are very sensitive to that. So mm. I think that's going to be a, a really leading force in, in the culture of jazz in the 2020s, just how much everything is just bumping up against everything else.
1: Robert Glasper himself just had a, a recent release called, well, I'll call it F Your Feelings, <laughs> that he, uh-huh. he just dropped. I guess he's would call it a, a mixtape. Yeah. As opposed to an album,
2: yeah, he's calling it. He's calling it a mixtape, and uh, you know, uh, we we alluded to his irreverent uh, sense of humor. I think you know this is a pretty good example of that. Well,
1: you even said uh, we we never really brought this up, but that um, he's you know he's actually said some pretty controversial things around the the notion of artists like him living in the shadow of the great legends.
2: Yeah, he's he's caused some controversy. I believe it was in. The magazine Jazz Times, some years back, when when he said basically, you know, "F John Coltrane," <laughs> um, yeah. but it came, okay. you know, it was in the context of 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 complaining about the predicament that contemporary jazz artists face, which is that because of the culture of historicity and and veneration that this music presents, when you're coming up, you are not only competing against, you know, or vying for attention against all of your peers, you're also up against like the greatest to ever do it, you know? Mm, So if you're, if you're a musician in your twenties and you're trying to get some noise and you know, the average jazz fan is like, well, why would I listen to you when I could listen to John Coltrane or Miles Davis or Billie Holiday? You know, it's a problem that people, you know, Like hip hop doesn't have that problem, you know, Um, pop doesn't have that problem. So he was really saying, like, I'm tired of of going into these spaces and seeing all these legends on the walls and feeling like I'm up against it, you know. And, you know, to his credit, like, I really do feel like that dynamic has changed quite a bit, you know, and it's not just it's not just Robert. You know, we, we've seen the, the emergence of Kamasi Washington this decade. Yeah. Um, you know, Esperanza Spaulding has been doing amazing things. You know, a lot of artists, you know, Christian Scott, Atunde Adua, you know, a, a lot of artists in their 20s, 30s, and 40s are are doing things that, that are really shifting that dynamic, you know. And, and to be a jazz fan today, I think you should still be interested in John Coltrane and Thelonious Monk and et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's... It, it would be strange for you not to. But that's not necessarily the first thing that you that you go for, you know, because there's so much happening right in front of you. So so that's something that, that Glasper, you know, he, he, it's been a hobby horse for him and I think has guided some of his, you know, decisions.
0: I think it's it's interesting that you point that out, Nate, because in a way that has come in hip-hop a little bit, like that hip-hop is experiencing that now, right? Mm-hmm. But I think unlike jazz hip hop is, is going in the other direction where, you know, a lot of the young heads that come in, they, Get compared to the old heads and whether or not they have the level of lyricism but i think because hip-hop is such a a capitalistic form um at least it's controlled by the industry so much that at the end of the day whoever is selling the most records is winning (laughs) (laughs) right so it hasn't had that problem in the same level as jazz where it seems like the critical response is is probably more important than the uh the commercial response
1: Let's go out on something from uh, Robert Glasper's, um, perhaps appropriately titled, F Your Feelings, <laughs> after this <laughs> exchange. But um, let's go out on uh,
2: Robert Glasper's Gone. Um, and Gone is a track that, you know, th- this, this album, this mixtape features so many guests, right? And on Gone... Glasper brings in Herbie Hancock, who in many ways was the precursor um, for bringing in different forms of music and making a form of jazz that connected with with hip-hop and with pop. So there's a lineage here.
1: Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, Rodney. Rodney Carmichael in Atlanta. Hey, thanks for having me. And Nate Chenin at uh, our New York bureau.
2: Thanks. This was fun. And
1: I'm Robin Hilton from NPR Music. It's all songs considered. of a
0: dreamer have premonitions reminiscent about the old days now they gone from the demolitions different visions of my former self Now that nigga visit every so often he comes out then he's getting missing shit is wicked all my day ones near me i like familiar faces from a place where they take your shoes and steal your laces real evasive but most of all i feel amazing like fucking 10 bad hoes of all brazilian races Ooh, i know myself far too well before you get to heaven gotta fall through hell till i'm ending my life